When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the other half. Chat, Claire Miles, the historian. So I had planned this episode to come out after I'd finished with Rani Lakshmi Bai, but things have been absolutely crazy at work for the last couple of weeks, so I've brought it forward to today. For a long time, most of my consumption of history has been through books, film, TV, and of course podcasts. But there is another medium that I've been getting into a lot more recently, blogs. There is a thriving community out there of history enthusiasts, out there sharing their passion for the past in blogs and on social media. And my favourite at the moment is one called The Historian. That's H-I-S-D-O-R-Y-A-N. The woman behind it is Claire Miles, and I had the pleasure of speaking to her back in May about her blog, her love of Welsh history, and all the best period dramas of 2021. But before we hear our chat, I wanted to quickly thank my Patreon supporters who keep the show going. If you too would like to support the show, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash the other half podcast. To all my new listeners, welcome. The rest of you, welcome back. today? I'm good, thank you. Thank you ever so much for having me on the podcast. You're very welcome. So for the benefit of my listeners who don't know who you are, um, who are you? So my name's Claire. I'm a history blogger from Mid Wales. I um, I run the Historian blogs. That's Historian, H-I-S-D-O-R-Y-A-N. And it's called that because all my friends call me Dory. They don't call me Claire. And yeah, it's a history blog, uh, as well as being on the internet, I'm on all the social media channels, and I've got a monthly newsletter as well. And generally, it's about helping people live in the past in easy, everyday ways. So we've got the latest history book releases on there, bits about period drama, history podcasts, and uh, when coronavirus isn't around. We also have bits about 
what historical attractions and sites you should be visiting and the latest exhibitions. I also studied Welsh history at university, so there's quite a bit of Welsh history on there too. So if that's your sort of thing, please check it out. Yeah, I mean, we were saying in, in sort of the pre-call that British history is often, when it's taught at school, particularly in England, but I think also around the world as well, it's just English history with the odd sort of Robert the Bruce uh, or England uh, you know, thing thrown in there. And there's so much richness to the so-called Celtic nations' histories, to Irish history, Scottish and Welsh, that just isn't studied. So I think it's great that uh, you're really sort of publicising that history to a wider audience. Um, so why did you start your blog? So uh, a couple of years ago, I was off work ill and I was kind of looking for something to keep me occupied, to be honest. And I was on Instagram and I came across people who were using Instagram to share their love of history, um, specifically be, specifically around um, churches and church crawling. So people who like to go out and visit historical churches and look at the architecture and I started thinking, well, I could do something like this too. You know, that's the sort of thing I want to do. Uh, so I gave it a go and it kind of went from there, really, and it kind of snowballed. So I started off microblogging on Instagram, but then I ended up moving to my own blog and the other social media platforms, and it just kind of grew from there, really. So um, what sparked your love of history? What made it be a history blog rather than any other kind of blog? Well, I've always loved history, but it's really, really hard to put my finger on, you know, one specific event that made me fall in love with the past. And there's a great saying, there's a quote from uh, a Welsh poet, R.S. Thomas, and I think it kind of sums up how I feel about history and why I fell in love with history. I live in Wales, I live in rural mid Wales, and it's this gorgeous part of the world. But, you know, it's, it's steeped in history and almost it's one of those things when you see it every day, you take it for granted. But he, he's got this, this great poem about the Welsh landscape. And there's this phrase, you cannot live in the present, at least not in Wales. And it goes on about, you know, Wales's rich cultural heritage and all the aspects of it that surround us every day, the language, the castles, the religion. And I feel that's kind of what happened with me, really. I was just kind of surrounded by it growing up and it just naturally happened and I think I've always been a bit like that I remember going to um this I'm showing my age here the Evervale Garden Festival I think that was in 1994 I think it would have been about eight I think I've guessed off the top of my head and I remember even then buying with my pocket money a children's book from the National Trust stand and I remember when I was little going on holiday to places like Tenby and Instead of wanting to go to the beach, I'll be like, can you please take me to the Tudor Merchant's house, please, Dad? I was that child. Um, so I've always had a love of history and I don't I don't honestly know where it's come from. I'm just very lucky to have grown up around it, I think. I think I was the same. I mean, I didn't grow up with such a... So I grew up in London, um, sort of the wide range of sort of churches and castles. But, I mean, I went, I used to go to the Tower of London at least once a year, I grew, I grew up about a mile away from Hampton Court Palace, so I went there a lot. And um, there are some amazing things to go to. And I think you're also right about um, you don't appreciate the stuff on your doorstep. I said, I mean, I've lived in, other than sort of uni days and a, a couple of years of my childhood, like I've lived in London all my life. I've still never been to Westminster Abbey. 
for example. And that's, you know, a temple of English history, particularly royal history. I mean, they're all buried there pretty much. Um, and just amazing things to see. But because it costs 20 quid to get in there. I mean, I work 10-minute walk away from it, and I've still never been. And I've only been to St. Paul's because my university did a, a, a service there once for the alumni. And so I was like, oh, may as well go. Um, and so I think it is really important for you know those of us that are, you know lucky enough to live in sort of European countries that have sort of thousands of years of of history right on the doorstep, and you know really every country has its history that you can visit. Go out and see it. Don't just read about it. Just just read about other countries' histories. Find out about your own. I haven't been to Westminster Abbey either, but I'm planning to go later on this year. I will get there. I will get there one day. <laughs> So you say, obviously, that a lot of your blog is about visiting places. How's it been blogging during lockdown? It's been different. It's been quite interesting looking at social media and seeing all the other bloggers, not just history blogs, and how people have had to adapt and change their content because they can't do what they normally do. They can't go out and visit places. They can't go shopping. They can't go out to restaurants. So everyone's had to change their content to a certain extent, um, myself included, uh, I did manage to get out to a couple of places last year in the summer when when it was a little bit safer. But I'm really, really hoping that this year, this year is going to be, you know, a bit a bit safer still, and I can get out a bit more. Um, but really, it's I think like the point I made earlier. Really, it's it's made me appreciate what I've got on my doorstep and in my local area a lot more. I, I took a break from work um, in April, had a fortnight off, and obviously. Things were just opening up then. And I actually took a holiday just over the border into Herefordshire. And normally I would never think of doing that. And I just spent a day just going around all these lovely old historic churches, places that I've always wanted to go to, but never quite got around to. Probably because they're just like over the border, like, oh, yeah, it's not that far. I'll get there one day. And I really, really enjoyed it. So it has made me appreciate my local and regional history a lot, lot more. And it's made me appreciate those smaller sites, those gems that often get overlooked because, you know, they're five miles away from, you know, a big flashy historical site. But yet you go down this little country lane and there's this gorgeous church full of treasures. It's really made me reflect on the type of places I've been visiting. Yes, same. I mean, I think it's happened to a lot. I can really only speak for, for the UK here, but traveling abroad has been very difficult so obviously people have been you know holidaying in the UK a lot more normally we like to you know get some nice weather um but we haven't been able to so I went to with my other half we went to um to Hay on Wye for the first time we're both massive book lovers and had, had never been to Hay for those who don't know it it's sort of the bookstore capital of Britain certainly uh and it's sort of on the Anglo-Welsh border amazing place it's a small very i mean it's a large village or a very very small town depending on your definition i think it has 21 bookstores it's amazing absolutely amazing it's, it's quite funny you said that because i had i did a short break last oh god it was last december and for one day hey on why i could get there in a day but literally i just went and hold myself up in a shepherd's hub for the weekend and i went to hey on why as well and just spent the day just mooching around the bookstores and it's 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 places like that, you know, these gems that get overlooked that I think are really going to have a bit of a renaissance this year. I'm trying to think about where I went last year. Last year, I went to Wiltshire just for a long weekend and I ticked some of those big 
Instagram worthy places off my list like Castle Combe and Laycock Abbey, you know, th- th- those ones. Um, so, yeah, it's I'm hoping that people will appreciate what's on their doorstep a bit more, like you say, in holiday a bit closer to home. Yeah, well, we ticked off Laycock Abbey, but mainly because we're sort of doing a slow tick off of Harry Potter locations around the UK. And there's about two or three um, Harry Potter filming locations in Laycock Abbey. It was a horrible day, um, but it was uh, it was like today, actually, absolutely pelting down with rain. Um, but luckily, most of the sites were indoors, so it was OK. It's, it's a very, very busy place as well. It's a very, very pretty village. You can see why everyone heads there. So, I mean, uh, the next thing I was going to ask is what have you managed to see this year? I think you've said a lot of them. Any, anything else that you've managed to see? So that's been interesting that people maybe in the in the UK or maybe people from abroad who might want to have a slightly non-traditional itinerary you might want to see. Well, I think I'm going to have to plug a bit more of my local history here because, I, like I said before, I live in Mid Wales. I live in a little town called Raider or Raidergui, if you want the Welsh pronunciation. It's the oldest town in Mid Wales. Uh, slap bang in the middle of the country and just f- five minutes drive from here we've got Elan Valley which is this gorgeous set of large lakes reservoirs that were built in the Victorian era and it's what it's one of those places I go walk in every week and I always fail to appreciate like this was one of the largest construction projects of the entire Victorian era and they basically flooded these valleys to to supply Birmingham with its water supply and, but it hasn't just got that history. You know, it's got so much there. Like it was a test site for the Dam Busters, and also Percy Shelley visited there. He actually wanted to move there, but he couldn't find a house to buy. So it's got all these great little stories, and it's absolutely wonderful, beautiful part of the world. You know, beautiful nature. You can walk for miles and not see everyone. And I just, it's just a really, really interesting spot. So I think I'm going to have to plug my local history there and say if you. If you're looking to get away from it and do some outdoor exploring with a dose of history, then Mid Wales is a good place to come to. Yes, I don't think I've, unless I can't remember a lot of my childhood, I don't think I've been to that part of Wales. So I went, took my mum again, we were actually to Ross on Wye. We, I really like the Wye Valley. And we went to, um, to Tintin Abbey as well, which is one of the best sort of ruined large churches I've been to, um, which again is, I mean, I'm, <laughs> Most of my stuff in Wales, I've not really strayed that far across the border. You know, I'm still within spitting distance of England. But and as they're growing up in London, I mean, I can get to Paris in the same amount of time I can get to Cardiff. And so it's, you know, you tend to go abroad a lot more and, and not appreciate these parts of the country. And, and Wales is an amazing historical place. You know, you think, I think people mostly think of, you know, the edge of the first castles and, places like uh, Carnarfon and, and, and sort of on the coast and along the border but these amazing places in the interior as well are just I've never been to and it's somewhere I really want to explore a bit more. One of the main things I want to talk to you about is uh, historical dramas. So your newsletter focuses on them a lot. And regular listeners to my podcast will know I do enjoy a bit of historical fiction, but I haven't actually talked much about the dramas. So I guess the place we really need to start is Bridgerton, because uh, that was probably the biggest historical drama 
that's come out in the last five or 10 years. Uh, I was in the United States with my in-laws over Christmas and we devoured it in a space of about two and a half days. And that was us rationing. What did you think of it? Oh, I loved it. I, I was very similar to you. I started watching it Christmas Day evening because I think it was released on Christmas Day. And yeah, I just binge watched it. It was brilliant. It was, yes, I think there's a lot of big fans out there who could go on and on about it. But I think in terms of the timing of it, you know, it was the middle of winter. It was dark, dank and dreary. And, you know, we were in lockdown. And then we just had this, you know, this, I don't want to say fluffy, but, you know, this escapist so fantastical sort of period drama with all these amazing characters in, you know, that's a bit cheeky, a bit fun. You had the love stories, you know, it had everything. It ticked every box and because you can see why it was so popular. It was just so colourful. I was just, I was thinking, I was trying to, you know, ruminate on why I enjoyed it so much. And not, you know, partly it's made by Shonda Rhimes. I've always been a big Grey's Anatomy fan, big fan of her work. But it's just big and colourful and there are parties and there are people standing close to each other. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was just great. I mean, I think there was – it wasn't perfect, um, particularly troubling relationship, I think, between Daphne and, and the Duke. Some, some bits that I think are not exactly very 21st century in, in the way they interact with each other. And I feel so sorry. They have an awful lot of – um, loud sex on staircases for some reason, and I feel so sorry for the servants because they just like they're just going to come across it and then have to sort of hide in various cupboards. I've always thought I think it's watching too much Downton Abbey and down upstairs downstairs. I'm always thinking of the servants. No, no, I agree. They never quite made it to the bedroom, did they? Um... No, it's, oh, it's just too. It's just too much passion. <laughs> no, I totally agree about the the Duke and Daphne di- dynamic and. I wrote a post um, at the end of last year for the House 21 blog, which I contribute to, and it was a ranking of Bridgerton characters. And it's my most popular ever post. It like had 10,000 views like in the first couple of weeks. And I'm like, wow, people really, really love Bridgerton. But I did a ranking of the Bridgerton characters and I, I couldn't like the Duke. He just had too many issues. I was like, this, this, no, no, I'm sorry. He's not for me. I can see, I can see why people think he's a bit of eye candy, but... But in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of daddy issues, he, he had more than enough. He was very James Bondish. Like I, my my pet, yeah. I, of, of all the people I'd like to be the next James Bond, it would be that guy because he has he has it all. He has the arrogance. He has the daddy issue. It's underrated how many daddy issues James Bond has. <laughs> my main problem with the whole series was though, you know, there's apologies to people who haven't seen Bridge and skip ahead. There's that scene in the garden in like the maze or like and there are lots of hedges and she's been given the necklace by the prince and then she takes the necklace off and puts it down on something and then runs off with the duke and they, I don't know, have some sexy fun time and they leave the necklace there. And all I want to know is what happened to that necklace. <laughs> I think I'm the only one that cares about this. I'll have it. I'll take it if it's still lying around. But I also loved um, having been to a few sort of national trust properties and, and things like that, just trying to like work out where all the things were filmed. So I uh, lived in Oxford for a few years, and I'm pretty sure some stuff was filmed at Blenheim. Do you know, was anything filmed in Wales for, um, for Bridgerton, do you know? I don't think so. I think you're correct in saying there's quite a lot filmed in England. Um, the Duke's Residence, that was filmed up at Castle Howard in, in North Yorkshire. And I believe there's quite a lot of filming in Bristol as well. Um, and I know this is very, very cheeky, but if you are a Bridgerton fan, 
there, I do recommend the official Bridgerton podcast because there is a great episode all about the filming locations and how they scouted them and how they did them up to be like the ballroom scenes and stuff. And there's this one story of how they painted, like hand-painted 20,000 roses or something for one of the ball scenes. It is amazing to, to, to learn about the level of detail that went into it. I would recommend any of you who are a fan of uh, Regency history, of, of uh, yeah, late 18th, 19th century history, Bath, which is where a lot of that was filmed and where any kind of Regency drama was filmed. Uh, Jane Austen was a big fan. You can visit all the streets. Um, it's not changed an awful lot. It's a really beautiful place. And there's also a very nice covered bridge that I'm sure my art historian wife would like me to recommend as well. Um, so moving on from Bridgeton, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of your, of your blog and your newsletter. You mentioned that you'd seen The Dig, which is a, so another Netflix series about the discovery of um, the Sutton Ho gold. Um, what, so you went to an online premiere. Uh, what was that like? It was quite exciting, and I must admit, one thing this pandemic has done is given people like me who live in the middle of nowhere opportunities to attend these sort of online events. Um, yeah, so it was kind of like an online event, and there was a Q&A panel afterwards with the stars. So basically, you watch the film and and then and then listen to this Q&A session. And it was just, I don't know if you've seen The Dig yet, but it's just, it's just a really, really kind of lovely, traditional, classic period drama. And it kind of surprised me in some ways, in, in a good way, because obviously the subject matter, if you say, well, this is a this is a period drama about an archaeological dig, you know, the subject matter sounds a bit dry to the layman. You know, you think, how are they going to make this exciting? How are they going to make this a good film? Uh, but also it surprised me because the film aired on Netflix. It was a Netflix film. And Netflix have a reputation, especially in the last couple of years, uh, in terms of pushing pushing the boundaries when it comes to to um, period dramas and trying something new. Bridgerton is an obvious obvious example. And you know, we've had recent stuff like Hollywood last year, Brian Murphy, that was that was very different and self-made as well. And then they kind of reverted gone back to this very traditional classic period drama. But it worked. It was it was um it was very beautifully done and it's not I think if you like history, you will like this film, not just because of the subject matter, because it's about the Sutton Who Horde and the dig there, but just because some of the points it makes about history and time and where we are in the scheme of things, it's it, it was really touching and moving. Yeah, it was very quiet. It was very just gentle. I mean, I Carrie Mulligan is the uh, the lead. And I absolutely love her. I think she's an amazing actress, really underappreciated. And, I mean, I struggle with uh, Ray Fiennes in anything because all I see is Voldemort. <laughs> but uh, but he was really good in it too. Uh, Lily James is amazing in anything she does. She's, she plays quite a minor character, actually. I'm surprised you know they got her to do that. No, she's a huge star. But, yeah, it's, it's not a, you know, a roller coaster thriller. It's a very nice and gentle... Film. I mean, it's got its, you know, those of you out there who are sort of big historical nitpickers, it's not 100% accurate. It made The whole plot made a lot more sense to me when I realised the character that Carrie Mulligan was playing was actually about 20 years older than her, which made the whole character make an awful lot more sense. Um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's drama, it's not a documentary. You know, I think you can let that stuff, stuff go. I totally agree. And I just, again, like Bridgerton, I think... 
it came at the right sort of time and it hit the, the right kind of themes that are speaking to people at the moment because of what we've gone through over the last couple of years with the pandemic. Like there was this big, obviously this, the history is a, a theme of this film. It's like they're digging up, you know, an ancient Anglo-Saxon ship burial. And you know, there's some really, really good lines in there from um, Ray Fiennes' character, um, like from the first human hand put on a cave wall, we are part of something continuous and we don't really die. And I was like, oh, that's a good line. And, you know, there's lots of us at the moment, you know, really reflecting on the big life things because we've been stuck in our houses for the last couple of years. And then on the other hand, as well as this continuous thread of history, you've got loads of reminders about how time and life is really short. So it's a complete contrast. You know, the World War II is coming. Carrie Mulligan's character, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, you know, she's very ill. She, you know, she hasn't got much time left. You've got her nephew who's on the verge of being called up to war. You know, it's all it's all making people realise, you know, they haven't got much time left and they need to seize the day. And again, that's another mentality that's kind of come out of the pandemic and what we've been going through. People are making the most of the time we get with our loved ones, for example. So, I, yeah, I just think it spoke to us in certain ways because of what we've been through over the last year or two. And I think another thing that was interesting about it is it touches, I think, a huge sort of debate amongst sort of archaeologists and sort of fans of history in the UK is the issue of sort of own, who owns artefacts. Um, I mean, the most famous example you, know, you have of, you know, the British Museum, which is full of things like the Elgin Marbles or stuff that was acquired, let's say acquired from various places like Africa and South Asia you know, in the sort of Edwardian Victorian times, probably less than morally. And, and sort of, you know, what do you do with that? You know, do we have to, you know, do we give it back? Do we need to pay restitution? Do we just keep it? Because, you know, finders, keepers, losers, weepers. But there was an interesting thing in the in the, in the the film, which is a little bit smaller than that, but no less relevant, is that this big gold hoard is sitting on this woman's land and there's a huge tug of war in the whole film about who owns it. Is it owned by the nation? Is it owned by the local museum? Is it owned by the woman, Mrs. Mrs. Pretty, who owns it? I found that very interesting because it's just it's one of those things that's quite difficult to think about in in the sort of grand scheme of things in the macro. Um, but when you sort of no, no, boil it down to this particular situation, I found that very interesting. Yeah, especially that as we're recording this now, it was only a couple of days ago that it's been in the news that there were some German museums who are who are repatriating, you know, their colonial items. So it does it does it is a very timely discussion to be having. That that film just kind of like I said, you know, it, it hits it's hitting the right points at the right time. And if it, if no one's read it yet, I very much recommend the Brutish Museums by Dan Hicks, which is a book all about you know the Ben and Bronzes and you know the the, the cultural restitution of it, uh, of items. So if anyone's kind of interested in following that up, I totally recommend that book. We could talk about the Crown, but I think everyone's talking about <laughs> the Crown, so we'll move on from that. Those I think the two big sort of period dramas that have come out sort of this year, or I guess Bridgerton came out right at the end of last year. Uh, what have you? What else um, sort of coming up are you most excited to, to be watching? Oh well, we've got the pursuit of love. 
that started on BBC. That's uh, based on the Nancy Mitford book. And I'm really, I'm really excited to, to see that. I've only recently read the books. I love them. And I'm looking to see, I'm looking to see what that's going to be like. Um, it stars Lily James, you know, that classic period drama actress we've already mentioned several times. But I think, like Bridgerton, it's got uh, the potential to be, you know, quite a fun and light-hearted sort of watch. So again, I think that's got the potential to be really, really quite a popular, a popular period drama. And then looking forward, it's really, really hard at the moment to predict what is going to be released when, because of the effect the pandemic's had on film and TV scheduling. I've I've got on my blog, I've got a period drama list. So basically, if you live in the UK, there's a list of every period drama and when it's going to air in the UK this year. And I've been doing that for a couple of years on the blog. And over the past year, I've realised, you know, this pandemic, it's making um, the promoters, they're giving very, very short leading times of when they're announcing things. So, for example, you know, they'll give, used, used to have like four weeks, four weeks, maybe six weeks, and they'll be like, yeah, we've got this, we've got XYZ coming out. And now you'll find out that it's much shorter leading time and it's on next week. Um, so it is really hard to predict when things are going to come out and air at the moment. I'm going to caveat to my discussions with that. The much awaited Channel 5 drama about Anne Boleyn starring Jodie Turner-Smith. That's due out. And I'm really, really interested in that because it's promising a very, very different interpretation of Anne Boleyn. I've got to the stage now. I do. I love the Tudors as much as anyone else, but there's only so many books and TV shows you can make about them. And Anne Boleyn has, the majority of the part, been portrayed in a very, very certain way, uh, you know, as this, you know, greedy rapacious woman and that this is promising us you know a very different Amberlynn and Amberlynn is the victim Amberlynn is suffering you know miscarriages who's been miscarriages who's being persecuted by you know the men of the court so I'm interested to see what that turns out like looking a bit more forward than that there's a couple of other things I'm really really looking forward to the Essex Serpent on Apple TV. That's currently, I think that's just finished filming. That's I'm really looking forward to that. That stars Tom Hiddleston. And then we're also promised a mini series called Miss Austin, which is based on a book of the same name. So that's about Jane Austen's relationship with her sister Cassandra. And again, similar to Anne Boleyn, I'm, I'm looking forward to that one because... There's so many Jane Austen adaptations, and I do love them all. I'm a big Jane Austen fan, but this is going to be something a bit different. This is going to be about her relationship with her sister. So it's nice to see that fresh angle on it. And also, this is a bit of an outlier, but I think we do historical comedy really good here in the UK. So I'm always very, very interested when a new historical comedy arrives on the scenes. And later on in the year... There's supposed to be a new one called The Witchfinder, which is about a <laughs> 17th century witchfinder and um, a supposed witch that he's found that he's taken, you know, he's taken to the courts to be tried. And I know it doesn't sound like a comedy, so I'm really, really interested to see how that turns out. But, you know, I love my Upstart Crow. I love my Blackadder. I don't know if people can remember, but a couple of years ago we had um, Quacks, which is about Victorian doctors. The women about the suffragettes. I, I just think Britain does historical comedy really well. So I'm looking forward to that one too. 
Yeah, those all sound great. I've sort of been uh, clicking around because obviously I know a lot of my listeners are American. Um, I, I had a feeling you were going to talk about um, Pursuit of Love. Um, that apparently doesn't have a US release date. I cannot imagine it won't be out in America somewhere, either online or maybe on BBC America or on BritBox or something. And the rest of them, as you said, they don't have a UK release date yet, so let alone an international one. I hadn't heard of the Anne Boleyn one. It looks interesting. I think the portrayals of Anne Boleyn on TV haven't really caught up with sort of where his, like the historiography has gone. It's still really stuck in the 90s um, with this sort of, you know, the uh, Natalie Dormer portrayal in the Tudors, for example, whereas I think the modern look at Anne is somewhat more, slightly more sympathetic, slightly less sort of domineering. Um, so looking at it, it looks really interesting uh, and sort of quite a fresh cast as well. I mean, it's Channel 5, so it's not, for those who don't know, Channel 5 is the uh, not the most prestigious television channel in the UK, but apologies to any of you who work for Channel 5. Um, so, it, But it means I think they can sometimes take a few more risks with this sort of thing, more than, say, the BBC might do. So, yeah, it looks great. Um, I, I've I've been wanting to do a, a series on the Mitfords for a long time because they're an absolutely fascinating family. You have one who is a full anarcho communist. Two of them who were big, who you know, married Nazis. I think I think two of them. At least one of them did. One of them was sort of um, you know a sort of a, one of Hitler's muses. Uh, so this aristocratic family from the interwar period, and they're all they all had very interesting lives. And it was all a bit mental. Um, and I haven't actually read any of their books, but um, I'm really looking forward to Pursuit of Blood. I'll definitely be checking that out. Um, so finally, I understand that you have a, a book coming out or a guide coming out. Yes. And um, based on what we're talking about earlier, it might be one for you, James. Um, so basically, over the last couple of months during lockdown, I've been working on my first ever ebook. It's a travel guide and it's a travel guide to Wales and its history. Um, I think loads of people are planning on visiting Wales this year. Everyone is, is, is staying and holidaying at home. And it's going to be an easy electronic guide to the top historical sites you should be visiting. And it's, it's kind of designed to make you fit more into your holiday. So you can easily look at you know a specific area or region and see what historic sites are in that specific region. But it's also broken down by historical periods. So say if you really, really into your Victorian history, for example, you can easily find the best sites to go for Victorian history. So I'm hoping to release it by the end of this month. So keep your eyes peeled. Absolutely. Have you got have you got a name for it? Do you know what it's going to be called? Oh, I'm just calling it my Welsh History Travel Guide. I'm keeping it very simple and does what it says on the tin type of thing. <laughs> You've got to capitalise on the SEO, as my old marketing manager used to say. Exactly. <laughs> And so I guess that will be available on sort of Amazon and, and probably through your website and stuff? Yes, um, I'm planning Amazon, uh, Etsy and through the website. So, um, yeah, it's designed also as well, I should say. I should really take my chance here and plug it, shouldn't I? Um, it's designed as an e-reader. So the idea is if you've got it on your tablet, on your phone, as you're driving around Wales, it's got all the links in it because at the moment, you know, the opening times, the arrangements of various sites are a bit... Um, bit different because of what we're what we're going through with the pandemic 
And so you can easily just click on the links, take you through to the websites to get the most up-to-date information in terms of visiting and safety arrangements. And it's also full of the links to take you straight through to Google Maps because we all know we need Google Maps to find our way around Wales. So hopefully it will be user-friendly. Yes, if you can get signal, of course. Well, what, 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 what do you mean, James? Wales is brilliant for mobile signal. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. And I hope that all your listeners have found something exciting, uh, some exciting documentaries and dramas to watch. And I encourage you all to uh, sign up to Claire's newsletter and read her blog as well. It's a really good read. I've been reading it for, for about a year now and I've really enjoyed it. So, Claire, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me again. You can find Claire's blog at www.historian.co.uk. That's H-I-S-D-O-R-Y-A-N dot co dot U-K. You can also find her on Twitter and Instagram as well. And I would also recommend her monthly newsletter. I've put all those links in the show notes for you to check out. Since recording this episode, I have seen The Pursuit of Love on BBC iPlayer and thought it was absolutely terrific. A real romping roller coaster as two young women lived their lives through the trials and tribulations of 1930s and 40s England. Claire may love living in the past, but the pursuit of love reminds us that the past was not a great place to be for a woman, even a privileged one. I've not yet seen the Amberlynn series on Channel 5, but it has really riled up a certain, let's say, unenlightened portion of the commentariat were outraged at a black woman playing Anne Boleyn. Its reputation so far is that it is not of the greatest historical accuracy, so I'll leave it up to you all to judge what you think of that. Like The Pursuit of Love, it doesn't yet have a US release date, but I am sure it will have one soon, so keep your eyes out for that. Next time, we're back to 19th century India to see Rani Lakshmi Bai take the fight to the British East India Company. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.